Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. This is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is called 24-7. Oh, man, I've been wanting to record this. And I had to get in the right state of mind because what I've been going through, you know, after two years of pandemic, you know, I'm going along, okay, I'm sure I miss people. I miss live events. I miss missed some ceremony, missed uh, funerals, birth, birthdays, you know. After lockdown for two years, you know, and um, I was lucky because I could continue with my sweat lodges every weekend, Saturday or Sunday. I'd be lighting the fire, going in to help my mind, body, and spirit, and heart be good. You know, and I'd go along and still work on Zoom and telephone, still be connected to people that are working for the people. And then this pandemic just kept, you know, I remember before Omicron, I was out walking every day, you know, and not every day, but frequently, consistently go for a walk, you know, I put on my winter gear and go out walking. Just loved uh, hearing the crunch of the snow. I'd go out early in the morning, see the stars, see the different stages of the moon. And I was doing all right as can be. And then all of a sudden... You know, of course, I'm thinking, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to be able to travel pretty soon. I'm going to be able to go to workshops, do things, you know, do what I would be doing before pandemic. Then all of a sudden, oh, comes, Omicron comes along. Oh, it's more contagious, you know, things start locking down again, and, it's, and it just hit me. I guess you could say I lost that spring in my step, you know, and uh, hit the wall, hit a wall. Not seriously, you know, but enough to where I'm, I stopped walking, I, you know, I'd still burn smudge to do things, you know, and still work on Zoom. But I started to lose some of that, like that glint in my eye and spring in my step, you know, I could feel this. It's too much, and all of a sudden there's different events happening in the world. There's a freedom convoy. There's murdered missing indigenous women on February the 14th, you know. And, you know, and then all the Ukraine war, all of this started. It just sort of like it just collapsed around me. And I felt myself slipping into a depression. Can't call it anything else. I wasn't feeling good. 
that I was reminded. Of course, when I get in that state, then I would think about previous. And I thought about my big depression when my late brother passed in a car accident. I was so surprised at how that impacted me because I'd already lost people close to me, people I loved. You know, my dad, my oldest brother, you know, and all of a sudden this one. And I just lost it. I just would sit and stew in my grief, my loss. Because grieving means to carry heaviness, and I just fully took that heaviness and just sat with it. Literally wasn't moving. Would just sit in my bedroom after everybody's up and just sit there. Close the curtains. And I remember that uh, when I look back at it, of course, and I'm going through it, I wasn't thinking about it or anything. I was just it. I was just depressed. I was just lost. And at that time, my community had started uh, Wei Che Ru Karate. And I, you know, and, um, they had people coming in teaching karate. And I had heard about it. My, my boss was a sensei. The Grand Master Sensei, you know, that I used to do, I'd do some work for occasionally. And I knew he was a high-level black belt, but I didn't take karate. And then, then all of a sudden, here it is, um, it's in my community. And of course, my friends would go, and then my daughter started to go, and she liked it, and she would even asked me for a ride to the dojo, which was our gymnasium, community gymnasium, at the school. I said, well, ask Brad, he'll take you, and my brother would take her. Then one evening, she'd been taking karate, and she says, Dad, it's going to be um, family night at karate, and if you don't come with me, I'll be the only one that doesn't have family. So I, because she would have been pestering me about karate. I thought, oh, I'll go with her, shut her up, but I won't go again. I said, okay, I'll go with you. Okay, put on your switch, Dad, come on. She said, Hack will be there as my friend, Hack. And I said, okay. And I, so I um, put on my sweats and I went up and I didn't know what to expect. And uh, sure enough, my friends and relatives were there, and then the sensei comes in with his gi on, and everybody's got, most everyone's got gis. I don't have a gi on, you know, the uniform. I'm in there with my sweats, and um, all of a sudden, the sensei, you know, he says, okay, we're going to warm up, and, you know, we ran around the gymnasium a couple of times, and we do different stretching and loosening up, you know, and warming up. And I was wondering, I didn't have no idea what we're going to do. So there I was moving, you know, and I was moving with people. And there we were, you know, then he says, lines us up. He says, okay, I'm going to line up. And there must have been two or three lines of us. And he says, okay, we're going to learn how to walk karate style. You know, so he had us line up with our feet you know, shoulders widths apart and then move our right foot up so the heel's in line with the left foot toes, you know, just to give you an idea. Then we toe in our right foot and we bend our knees and he tells us how to position our hands with our elbow um, a fist length away from our rib. And then he says, okay, push your fingers up, push them. And he says, okay, and then when I count, he says, then you make your first step, and he shows us how to, how to move. Then he says, and I also want to hear you breathing. I want to hear you go, you know, when you move. So he says, when I say itch, that's when you start moving. So there's a sensei, 
you know, itch and we move. If you make do it wrong, he'll come and correct you. Nee, then we move, you know. So there I am just doing the simple activity of learning how to walk in karate. We go across the hall. We come back, and he comes and checks our, you know, how we are, our form. Tells us to push our fingers up, and he hits the end of our fingers. He said, push it up, push, push. I'm going to get strength in those fingers. And we'd crank our thumb, you know, into our palm, and he says, hold that tight. Glaring eyes, itch, knee, sun, chi, go, and we're walking. And concentrating so much, there's a little bit of sweat coming off me, and I'm breathing, deep breathing. And he's walking, correcting us, encouraging us, telling us to have glaring eyes, to concentrate, to look in front of us, but be aware of what's around us, you know. And he's talking to us, and he's counting for us. So that's all we've done that first evening. And then we... um then after that, we cooled down, stretching. And that's when I started to learn stretches I still do today for my legs, for my body. But at the end of that session, I was surprised because I didn't have any um, depression while I was there because I was just totally focused on moving and breathing and listening to the sensei. So that was my first, you know, where I really went into a serious depression how it got me out of it. And as time went on, you know, in my life, I'd had times and I'd be depressed. And, uh, you know, and sometimes it's just about colonization, you know, what we're going through as indigenous people, there's suicides and violence and things happening. And, I'd, and I was a human service worker, so I signed up for that to help people beat addictions. And I would be doing that, and I would have success. I'd have failure, more failures and successes at the beginning there, you know. And it was just, it would get, it was getting heavy. And I started to refer to it, and I would look at the broad-based problems our people were going through in our communities, and I would see see what's going on with the individuals, with the family, with the whole community. Then realize that we're, our community is not alone, but I guess you, I'd, in my mind I'd say all the indigenous communities are facing the same problems. So it would get heavy for me, and I'd... I'd uh, talk to myself, don't look at it, Jerry, don't look at that big picture. I call it the river. Go there once in a while, stick your foot in, just to remind you how serious this stuff is. But don't stay there, don't dwell on it. So that's how I would talk to myself, you know, so I wouldn't get overwhelmed by the amount of addictions that I'd seen around me. I became aware that there was process addiction, which is gambling and, you know, doing something over and over again. It's not doing anyone any good. And, of course, the substance addiction, the liquid, the solid, the gas, you know, people smoking, toking up, drinking, eating pills, you know, all of that, you know, and I became aware of it. And it would get heavy, you know, and it, I could feel this heaviness, and I, then uh, I, uh, one one way I got over that was, I, just, I was driving to a community to a funeral, and I was by myself. It was a nice summer day. And I picked up some. They asked me to pick up some food and fruit and stuff for the feast that I was going to. And I remember I just felt this. You know how it is when you feel like, oh, geez, almost like I got nothing left or I, I can't do this anymore. Or, you know, that kind of feeling. And I remember I was driving along and I just stopped and pulled over to the off the side to the road. No vehicles around and I got out and I just screamed. I just let out this big old scream. <sighs> Held my arms out wide. And it 
it done something for me. It's like released, I guess it's pent up heaviness. You know, when you put, like they talked about stress, when you put the plug on the tea kettle and turn on the heat high, eventually that tea kettle's going to explode. And I guess that was a mini explosion for me. When I, it helped me to be present again, to be aware of my surroundings, to be, to see and to hear. So I'd get like that, you know, and it's... So the first one was movement. Second one was sound. <laughs> a scream, like a total expression of anger and frustration. Just, uh, just let it out. And that worked. And, um, you know, the... This... I th I believe I wanted to do twenty four seven because this happens to all of us. I believe. And the next one that comes to mind was, um, you know, I just didn't. Um, this wasn't feeling good about Jerry. You know, just about my life, about what happened in my life. I just I haven't, you know. The, I, 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 my life was hateful to me. Even though I was doing good and people appreciated me, I still felt this heaviness. And that's when um, I was so, I'm so thankful today that um, I went to one of my elders and talked to him and he said, okay, and he took me up the mountain, put me on the fast vision quest and that I guess it's like a meditation I sat in that lodge for the first two days saying this is stupid I don't want to do this I'm hungry I'm thirsty why am I doing this anyway you know but I stuck it out and the third day all those two days, I kept saying, what are you doing anyway, Jerry? And I was talking to myself, like saying, you. Like I was talking to Jerry. And the third day, there's a question again, what are you doing, Jerry? And I answered myself, and I think it was probably for the first time since maybe I was a child, and I said, I am fasting. I took ownership of what I was doing, and my whole experience changed. I wasn't just thinking of suffering anymore from no food and no water and being uncomfortable. How I started to focus while I was there, I was looking for solutions, looking for an answer for my life. And it came to me. You know, and I seen myself sitting in a circle and all the individuals in the circle were blue lights and I was sitting there like a blue light with them and I was singing songs and we were in the sharing circle. So I seen my purpose that day. So I went, when I came off the mountain, I started to look for role models. I started to read. I started to learn about stress, communication, anger management, <laughs> planning all of these things, right, that were there all the time. Became solution-focused. And that pulled me out of that depression I was having. And so I carry on, you know, doing work. I believe I was doing good work. I was helping. I was being helpful as part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I'm doing this in my life. So I carry on for years. Then all of a sudden I started to lose, lose that spring in my step again, a glint in my eye, and it's, um, I'm tired now. I can't believe how tired I feel. I keep still and I fall asleep, you know, and I was just started to feel miserable again. 
My late grandfather used to call it the flim flams. He'd get the flim flams. I had the flim flams again, along with exhaustion, with tiredness. So that's when, because uh, my previous ones was exercise, you know, and then meditation and isolation. This time it was on another human being that helped me. What a blessing, and I think about it today, because I was tired, and I was getting fed up with myself. With, you know, I couldn't even feel the goodness that was happening, that I was doing, that I was part of. You know, just that feeling of loss. And um, this healer looked at me, and <laughs> I guess you could say confronted me, because I asked her, gave her permission, look at me. She looked at me and she said, oh my gosh, you've been sexually abused. And I'm saying, I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm in the line. She says, not by one man, but by two men. And she said these words that really shook me and said, those men are still in you. You must cast them off. You must get rid of them. And she told me to close my eyes and put up my hands. And she says, when you see those faces, just cast them off scream, just really cast them off. So I followed her instructions, and I seen them, and I screamed, and I thrust my hands out violently, and they were gone. And there was tears coming down my face. I was free of one of the first, of one of the first causes for my, at times, having heaviness, always in the background, always there until I freed myself of it. Oh, no more nightmares. I could taste food again. Coffee was wonderful, you know. I could see colors of the earth, green and flowers, and, you know, hear the wind. I was back again. Thank goodness for the healer. So movement, sometimes movement will help you because it makes you, and I, this is like a forceful movement, not like trudging along. If you're going to walk, walk with passion, walk, swing your arms, walk fast, head up. Like when we're karate, we're walking, our head, head was up, our hands were there, and we're breathing deep, you know, and then... Then when I went into isolation, look at myself, to learn to ask for help, to open myself up to the help, to believe. And then the healer helped cast off the evil ones that had hurt me. Then, you know, and I went along, continued working addictions, became a facilitator, would do workshops, you know, would help people. And I started being known, and people would call me here and there to do a workshop, to do a keynote, you know, to, to help. And I was doing that, and it was, um, it felt so purposeful. Right. Just appreciate the people that would trust me to go to their community to do a workshop on personal growth and development and awareness and addictions, you know. Because actually, that's what I was doing teaching about communication skills and learning how to forgive first off self, then others, do planning, you know, work together sing hand drum songs, tell stories. That's what I was doing. And I felt good. It felt good. felt like a mighty purpose, you know. <laughs> and I had so much issues about myself, my self-esteem. For many years was really very low. You know, my value of myself, I didn't have any value of myself. So... 
movement, meditation, intensive meditation, fasting, than the healer. You know, I've been so lucky that I would encounter healers and teachers. The other big help in my life when I'd feel down were teachers, elders. I would phone them and I would or I'd go see them and they would talk to me. And I would listen. And it seemed like a guarantee every time I'd go talk to them, I'd walk away feeling better. So you find a mentor, you find a teacher. And don't be afraid to go tell them your truth. What's going on? I found that out. I had these mentors that I would, I'd feel down and I'd connect with them. One is just hearing his voice would calm me down. He's gone now, so I don't have that voice, so I'd find another. When they'd go to the spirit world. So these elders would teach about healing, because healing means to become original again. Before you go off, before I go off track, before I get confused or conflicted, that's around mental health. And they would teach me, doing casting off ceremonies, doing meditation. One, one, one of my teachers had me draw. He says, I want you to draw an eagle. <laughs> We're going to have a little ceremony. And he says, yeah, Jerry's going to draw an eagle. It's part of the ceremony. And I remember I saying, oh, no, don't ask me. I'm not an artist. So I, I said something to him about, you know, I'm not a very good artist. He said, it doesn't matter, Jerry. You can do it. I know you can. So... <laughs> I mean, he gave me a pen and paper. And I drew this, to me, a pitiful eagle. And he says, oh, that's good. He says, that's good. That works, Jerry. You know, so I, having people encourage me and believe in me, I now see it as a blessing. Even someone that looks at me and smiles and acknowledges me like that is a blessing. So there are people I got all over. I, I was in Winnipeg the other day, and this one lady looks at me and smiles, you know, just in friendliness, and it's like a blessing. So I had many of those elders that would teach me how to build sweat lodge, how to make the fire, how to make paint, how to make a drum, what are laws of generosity and respect, and, you know. And they were even teaching about communication. Like one elder saying to, to me and others my age, my cousin was one of them, my friend, and we're working with residential school survivors. And he talks to us and says, okay, the first thing is you be careful and sincere with your words when you're talking to the people. Oh, gee, I can still hear the echo of those words in my mind. Be careful and be sincere. Because there's so much power in words. And I come to understand words can destroy our words can heal and build a person up. But they can take a person down pretty quickly too. So it's best to be careful and sincere with your words. My granny would say that, but she didn't have the message like that, be careful and sincere with your words. She was telling me that the practice, Statlium practice, was to talk to the baby. As soon as we know the baby's inside the mom, we're to talk to that baby, layered with teachings and good messages, stories. Said that baby's going to absorb everything like a sponge. That was a good teaching. 
to be careful and sincere. I've been working on that for so many years. Sometimes I beat myself up. Oh, you're not a good communicator. You don't listen properly or say things properly, you know. And then I go back to just be careful. Just be sincere. Talk about what you believe in. So that's what I started to do. More and more. So there's movement, meditation, healers, teachers. And you know, you've probably heard the saying, even a baby can be a teacher, a child can be a teacher. So when we, you know, we become an active participant in life, that's when that happens, and we see the teachings all around us. We hear them, see them, touch them, feel them. Like my elder said, everything I know comes through the air. That's why this is called Teachings in the Air, this podcast. So we have to watch and listen for the teachings in the air. They're there. Because when I told him, I, he had said, you look depressed at times or down. And I said, well, we're losing our music. You know, and, uh, Statlium music. <laughs> and he says, it's in the air, Jerry. He says, if you want the music, you just have to, you have to work for it. Go out in the mountain, out in the meadow, by the river, and listen. Ask, ask for music. It's up there. He says, it's everywhere. So I've done that. It takes effort. There are some people that are song catchers. Oh, they can just catch songs left and right. You know, so I'm not like that. I have to work. I have to work to create a song. But I'm getting there. You know, so the music, I don't know how many times I'm not feeling right. And then all of a sudden there'd be some hand drums or rattles going and people would be chanting and singing. And right away it left me up. I could feel it. Hear that music entering my body. I remember the first time. I wasn't in a depression then. I sort of like, you know, participating, but still not totally there, just a good avoider, you know. And I remember I went to this, I was hungry for culture, though, for tradition. And I went to this, one of our communities, and they were having a road blockade over fishing rights. So I took a group of my people over to support them. Set up camp and we're camping out. Then they had the central fire it was burning all the time we were there. I remember I went there and there's an elder chopping wood. He says, yeah, they're going to have a sweat. He says, I've never been to them, but I, I support them, he says. So I'm cutting the wood. And he was cutting this wood and he says, you see that knot? There's a knot in the wood he was cut. He says, you hit it right in the middle. Oh, they had a powerful swing, and he'd hit, and, poof, and that wood would fall apart. He says, yeah. So I went, and I listened to some presentations, people talking about fishing rights, about our teachings. So that's what it was. I didn't know then. There were people there, men that were long hair and ponytails and braids. and They had this different look about them, the way they walk, the clearness in their eyes, the self-confidence. Thinking, gee, I want that. Then I... It's a fire nice. Seeing these people gather around the fire. 
And some of them had hand drums and they started chanting. Oh, just like that vibration hit me. I could feel it. And I went rushing over and they were in the circle around the fire and I stood away from the circle, watching and listening. Oh, it's beautiful. One of the men in the circle seen me and he nods, calls me over. I said, I don't know how to do this. He said, no, it doesn't matter. He says, fake it till you make it. <laughs> so I stood there with him. It was so good. So music is powerful, traditional music. It's about lifting people up, uniting people. I look at the traditional music with hand drums and rattles and flutes and whistles. It's to lift up the people. And I've been lifted up in so many communities hearing traditional music. Oh, it's beautiful. This lifts the spirit of my spirit, rejuvenates it, like sound massaging my spirit. It was just so beautiful. And I'd hear people sing songs that were so beautiful, bring tears to my eyes. This so wonderful. And I started to call it, I'd see people singing dancing, and I'd see them put everything into it, moving their hands, moving their body, singing, and I call it total expression. They're doing total expression. And just seeing that total expression would lift me up too. And eventually I got to that where I can do that. By myself or with a group, I'd pick up my hand drum and sing or rattle, chant. Oh, this is so beautiful. So there's that. There's movement, meditation, healers, elders, music. Then, of course, there's the medicines. I just light a braid of sweet grass and just a scent would calm me down, calm my spirit down. Sage and cedar and juniper, I just smelled it and rub it in my skin, put it in my hair. <laughs> That's been a big help for me for years and years now. But there's times, i be honest with you, I just start getting the flim-flams and I forget about it. So I leave my smudge bowl out. It's over there now in the corner of my room, that little altar there. It's always out in the medicines there and my fan. And So I walk by and now I just stop and put some medicine in the smudge bowl, light it up. And, ah, maintenance, it helps me day to day. During pandemic, I don't know how much medicine I burn, you know, more than before pandemic, I know, because sometimes I wouldn't do it as regular. Now it's more regular. I imagine my elders done that every day, because it helps the spirit, the mind, the body, the heart, that medicine. The fungus, I'm running out of fungus. I have to put the message out there. I need some fungus, you know, because that's for the brain. But I got lots of different kinds of sage. I got cedar, juniper, different roots, bitter root, I chew on seeds. They're so lucky. So that needs... And I got soap berries, like when I have a sweat lodge, I drink soap berry juice, hush them. Oh, just, I imagine that cleansing me, my insides. So there's the medicines. Then, of course, there's the medicines at the branches of cedar, juniper, 
hemlock, fir that I've used to sweep my body, to take away the negativity. Sometimes I just, especially in the West Coast, when I was in the Vancouver area, I go just lean against the cedar tree and let the branches touch me. And I think of it as taking away negativity. That was so good. You know, so there's, in our way, there's all of those medicines. Then, of course, there's the one medicine that's everywhere, and that's people. People that believe in you and support you and accept you as you are are medicine. They hold you, they shake your hand, or they just touch you on the shoulder, or just look at you with a smile, that's medicine. Just accept me the way I am. I'm so lucky I have people like that. I used to, I remember when I was starting on my healing journey, I'd think about um, myself. And wouldn't think highly of myself. Then people would be saying, you can do it, Jerry, I know you can. People would let me know they believe in me. And that was important for me, to have that belief from other human beings. It was medicine. People encouraging me. Elders telling me stories about a facing challenge, not run away from it. If the storms are pedal through it, don't don't run away, it'll follow you. So I'd hear these stories. You know that salmon story, like her salmon behind me, swimming in a circle. I I still you know this <laughs> my my flim flams now that I'm pulling out of it, I can talk to you on this podcast because I wanted to, for a couple of weeks, do this 24-7, but I didn't feel so, (laughs) I guess you could say I felt weak. No guessing about it, I felt weak, and I said, I need to give a good message about our teachings, about our medicines, and a reminder to myself also that it's all there, it never goes away. It's always there, that medicine, for us. It's for us human beings. And that if I use them, you know, I can, I guess you might as well say, beat anything. I'll be okay. So I started to, you know, and I think of the stories again. I thought about the salmon and about, uh, you know, and the creation story of how we as Statlium people and others up in the interior of British Columbia in the wintertime, the beginning we were suffering in the wintertime because it's cold and we needed some kind of substance in our body to protect us from the cold and to keep us healthy, to keep us strong, to keep us sound. And our great helper, Coyote, in Kiap, could see what was going on with us. And he's the one that, you know, helped us learn about fire, about, you know, the sun, the moon, you know, about medicines, that really wonderful helper for us human beings. So we could see what's going on, so he called a meeting of all the animals and birds and creatures and said to them, those human beings are struggling in the wintertime. They need something to carry them through the winter. And it's cold and it's long and there's nothing, no fresh vegetables and fruit and stuff. You know, they need some kind of substance. And um, so different animals course, were generous too, and they'd volunteer. Oh, I'll be their food in the winter. Mink saying that. No, no, coyote says, you're out to one, you know, different birds, different animals. They'd say, I'll be their winter food. And coyote kept saying, no, 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 you're not the right one. 
And finally, one of the salmon people stepped forward and said, us salmon will be the winter food. Coyote looks at the salmon and says, you know, you're going to have to go up these rivers if you're going to be their food. And these rivers are swift and they'll bang your body against the rocks. And not only that, you'll have to jump waterfalls to get up, you know, because you're going as far as the Prince George area by the Rocky Mountains. Those people need that food up there too. So Coyote said, it's going to be a real struggle if you accept this, if you accept this to be their food for the winter. And the salmon said, yeah, we know it'll be a real struggle, but we don't care because when you face struggle, you get strong. You get stronger. <laughs> and I, uh, I know how strong they are because I fished in the Fraser River and I catch a spring salmon or a big sockeye and I take it out of the net I could hold it and it just feel the strength in that body, just like <laughs> very powerful. Especially those big springs or any of them, they could snap your wrist if you hold it wrong because they're trying to get back in the river. But their food is so delicious and it's medicine. I'll give you an example of how it helps us in the cold. We were having a Stein festival up on top of the mountains in the Stein. I remember John Denver went there to perform the late John Denver. And people went up and camped on the mountaintop, in the, you know, up in the Alpine. And I was up there and I went with my youngest son. We hiked up to the top of the mountain, carrying our, carrying our tents and our food. And I brought dried salmon sockeye salmon and I remember and they were you know you go up into the alpine you got to take your winter coat because in the nighttime, even though this is July it was still cold up in the mountaintops when you're that high and I remember I told my son and I we had to bring warm clothes so we're in the evening we're dressed warm Second day, you know, and my auntie was up there, my late auntie from Merritt. And I seen her. She was in her tent. I said, oh, auntie, I heard you're here. I come to see you. And I had some tswan, some dried salmon with me. She said, oh, it's so good to see you. And got up to, uh, to give me a hug. And she says, oh, I'm so dressed up, so much clothes. I have to roll around to get up. And she was laughing. And she got up. Give me a hug. I remember that morning I woke up, I had a little bit of a sore throat. When you're in real cold weather, sometimes you could feel it in your throat. I could feel it in my throat. I said, Auntie, I got some food for us. She says, oh, good. She says, I got Zoan. Oh, she laughed. She loved Zoan. And so I took it out. We are eating it. We could, I could feel that oil and that dried fish helping my body immediately. So that's a salmon, you know. We're to learn from that, to be like the salmon, to face our struggles, to go through it, and we'll get stronger. Don't run away from it. Go through it. So that story has helped me a lot in my life about struggle. I was thinking of that story because I've been struggling with this COVID, with Ukraine, freedom truckers, you know, being isolated, all of this. So I was reminded of the stories and I would think of them. And I would tell them, you know. When I tell stories to others, like I'm telling you right now, it helps me. And I would tell people about that salmon story about the hummingbird about different stories like my story about the karate how it saved me from a deep depression just by learning how to breathe how to walk and then as i continued in karate to learn the katas the form 
San Chin, the first kata. Gee, I learned that and it felt so good. It boosted my confidence because I can do something from start to finish with others. It was in being with people. Doing the same thing was just so helpful. I can remember those times when I'd pick berries with my mom and my dad and my brothers and my sisters up in the mountains. My sister, we go up and pick berries. How good that felt to do something together for a common cause. My mother was so smart, she'd give us our containers to fill them up, but she says, okay, you're going to go out there and I'm going to let you eat berries for five minutes, as much as you want. Oh, 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 we're happy, and we go into the berry patch, and we're eating handfuls of berries. She gives I don't even know what it's five minutes. She says, okay, time to pick, she says. So we'd fill up our containers. She said, she'd tell us, yes, this is for the winter. When it gets cold, we'll have nice berries for the pancakes or for dessert. It's going to be nice. So <laughs> being with people, doing common, positive activities, good for the spirit, good for the heart. Gee, I'm feeling a lot stronger and better just talking to you on this podcast about what we have and what we can be 24-7. I can be this 24-7. I can use medicine. I can talk and listen to human beings, sweat lodge, meditate, you know. I do that more often now, and I just sit and I deep breathe and just continue to do that and also do different movements like stretching and conditioning and breathing, deep breathing. Oh, it's just so helpful and it's good for my body. You know, so those are what I've used. One of the, you know, like I talked about the music being powerful. Also cold water out in the ocean or the river or a lake. I prefer a fast-moving, not-too-fast stream, you know, if you can go in there. And I just love listening listening to the sound of the water moving and see the bubbles in the water. And I just would just love to go and submerge myself in a nice pool. Because every sense seemed to come alive when I do that. I could smell the trees around me, feel the, the air on my skin. You know, it just felt it just so rejuvenating that cold water. Of course, you probably heard me before, I used to hate it when I first started doing it. I, oh, I don't want to do this, you know, but somewhere inside of me knew this is the right thing to do, so I'd continue. Because my toes and fingers are cold, I don't want to get cold, you know. It's, uh, the teaching was you go under four times. Some of them would say, face in each direction and go down four times. And some would just say, just go down four times. And then some would say, stay longer. So I started doing that. And it helped my, I guess what we call my spirit or my willpower to be stronger. Plus, like I said, it wake me up. Oh, it feel good. This past weekend, I went to Winnipeg with my wife and my stepdaughter, and we went to this spa, got really hot saunas, steam, and they have this wonderful pool of cold water, like water falling into this pool. I'd go in there, oh, it was just such a blessing, such a, a gift. The handrail going down and the stairs going into the pool would have ice on it, so I'd have to be careful. But, oh, I would go and I'd submerge myself, go underneath four times. Just like I'm on the coast mountains. Beautiful streams or beautiful water. 
This is Winnipeg. This is in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Then I go back into the steam, the sauna. It's nice and hot. And they would put medicine on the rocks in there. It's just like a, a new age sweat lodge. Quite a few people go in there. They'd have that one that puts the medicine on, would shake a towel and move the medicine around the room in the heat. Oh, I just appreciate that. That is my my Sunday um, my Sunday ceremony because I wasn't at home, so I didn't use my sweat lodge. So I used a new age one, and it worked. I had the added pleasure of that cold water. Here, you know, when it's not winter, I just have the hose out by my sweat lodge and I wash off with cold water. But there I can submerge myself. So those are, you know, we can do this healing, this centering, this grounding of ourselves 24-7. Because we have all of those ways I've talked about, and there are more. Some people do art to settle themselves down. They pick up whatever they're carving or painting or whatever they're doing. Sewing, beading, grounds them. Being grounded to Mother Earth is a good feeling. When we get, we're not grounded, we can get panicky, we can get depressed, we can get angry, we can, you know, get sad, all of those things. But we ground ourselves, like we become ourselves, who we're meant to be, what we're meant to do with our gift that we have. So that's what this 24-7 podcast is about, is to encourage Jerry to remind Jerry of all the gifts that I have. I'm just so rich with gifts to help ground myself, to help myself get over the depression time. And I get depressed at times about COVID or missing ceremony, missing people. You know, I have so much around me that I can use, and I must use them to help myself. So that's what 24-7's about. And I want to finish off as, as I was thinking of this podcast, I remembered this elder. And he was one of my teachers talking about medicines, about brushing, about burning medicine, about sweat lodge, you know. And <laughs> of course, we'd go, my friends and I, we'd look for teachers. So there must have been three of us visiting him. and He's telling us stories, telling us what he's doing in his life, you know, and we're having the sweat lodge. And he is an old man, too, and he can split wood. <laughs> you know, it's just so impressive. You get it nice and hot. We're having tea after, and he's talking about, he says, yeah. He says, we got all kinds of medicine. And he says, one of the medicines I remembered, he says, with this elder had a, a laughing song. And we'd be all stressed out, and he'd sing this laughing song. So <laughs> I remember me and my other students, grasshoppers, saying, hey, can you teach us that song? Can you sing that song for us? And he says, oh, I'm not a, you guys all know that I'm not a singer. He says, I do the ceremony, I do the pipe ceremony, the sweat, but other people sing. No, 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 can you just at least give us an idea how it goes so we can sing it and help the people? And he says, oh, okay, he says, and he says I don't have a drum. Right away we give him a drum and a drumstick. And he's, he's standing there and we're by the fire and he closes his eyes and he sort of gently hits a drum a couple of times. Then he hits a drum and he goes, ah. <laughs> ah. 
<laughs> and we're watching and we start laughing. He says, there it is. That's a laughing song. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's one of the medicines to his laughter. As indigenous people, we learn to laugh at ourselves, at our mistakes that we make, or sometimes we feel important, self-important, and we laugh, or somebody will help us laugh. Wonderful medicine. So I just invite you to look around your medicines and pick them up and use them. If you get to flim-flams, you get depressed, you get down and out, and you get hard on yourself or hard on other people turn back to our medicine and we can be 24-7 statium or uchelmiucha they're original people so that's what I'd like to encourage you and leave you with and wish you a wonderful spring spring is here it's going to be changed again so thank you for listening to this podcast 